All right. What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? We're just talking about uh, what animals that we could take on with our bare hands. We think the threshold we're gonna is do kind a, of a We're going to do a, a telethon on this. We're going to have to have a whole chart of animals and a yes, no committee decision on if we could if we could take on a After bobcat. watching that one video, I think I could take a kangaroo. Just one good shot. Just though. one. I'd yeah. run, though. Yeah. That's what you got to just one clean, one clean shot. One clean shot. I think that kangaroo oh. was so stunned in that video when that happened because he just like looks back. <laughs> I don't think there's any way you're taking the kangaroo, dude. I'm sorry, man. That's a nasty animal. That's right. That's a very nasty animal. Speaking of animals, so I watched this. There's this nature documentary on um, on Netflix, and it's narrated by Morgan Freeman. And the whole thing is uh, talking about animals' connection to the universe. And the first episode is about energy. And it's talking about a cheetah and it follows around a cheetah and shows how it hunts and expends energy to eat. And then it just eats to create energy and mm -hmm. relates that back to energy in the universe. And uh, so we can make a whole episode out of this. I'm down. Back to energy and our ability to fight animals. <laughs> <laughs> so what Value do we got, added what do we got on today's BDE? All right. Number one, <laughs> let's start off with oil prices because it's kind of wild. Yesterday, at some point during the day, oil was actually down for the year. We yeah. started the year off at about $75 a barrel. Uh, we flirted around lower than that yesterday. We had a rally at the end of the session. We're kicking around at about $78 now. So let's say we're up 3 or 4% for the year. We had a high of $130.50 a year. Vlad, who is our biggest fan, the police officer from Richmond, Texas, cornered me the other day and said, what's going on with uh, with uh, oil prices? So, Kirk, I'm going to kick this to you first. What's going on with oil prices? Well, I mean, I think the big news is, is what's going to happen with China. I mean, China could be on the verge of civil war. We know what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. So that tension's already bared out in prices, I believe. But is China on this verge of people going against the government if they do and that creates a lot of unrest you could see an economy that tanks and if the economy tanks you could see oil prices tanking with it yeah on the same time if if beijing crushes this little civil unrest over covid i think prices are going are to climb as we hit go into winter well you know what's interesting about that though is if the government does crush the rebellion if you will and we should probably talk about this more people holding up white paper and all it's pretty wild right. i mean this is feeling very historic if you will about what's going on there um if the government does crush the rebellion do they stick with zero covid policy and quite frankly that's been the drag on oil prices True. it's just you know so it's it's got a lot of vectors it can shoot in different directions yeah, i saw some guys on twitter you know everyone has their fundamentals of what should drive oil prices, but I've always, I've always believed that there's so much speculation in the market that really fundamentals, at least in the short term, don't matter. And you know, there is no reason that oil should have gone negative uh, two right. years ago um, on a on a physical basis. And here, if you look at where we're at now, I mean, you look at the fundamentals. It's like short in supply. Um, you would think that oil prices would be up. And I know that we've been releasing from the SPR, but I don't think that that makes that big of a difference. And so the only thing I can think of that's like really suppressing oil prices is FUD around China. No one knows what's going to happen. 
it seems like there's got to be something like it, whatever's happening in China is just weird to me. I mean, one, it's weird because we just don't have a lot of information about what's actually happening there. But just the fact that their government continues the lockdowns for COVID. I mean, COVID hasn't been a thing over in the U.S. for quite some time now, to, at least to the extent where we're locking down people. Um, it's just crazy that that's still happening over there. Like you have to ask like, why? So I was, I was in Tiananmen Square in December of 2019 when China knew about COVID, but the rest of the world didn't. And I was looking at Tiananmen going, this is crazy. If you remember the Tiananmen Square incident many, many years prior about the civil unrest, about the, you know, everyone remembers the guy that's standing in front of the tank and the tank doesn't move. Yeah. But we're right there. We're right back there, yeah. potentially. Yeah. And um, because of COVID, what, what, what say you? What, what do you think? So this, so yesterday I recorded a podcast with the Montrose Lane guys, Jeremy and Ryan, and I'll I'll drop it tomorrow morning. But we just started off talking about China. Just hey, what's going on? You know, kind right. of as, as we were doing mic checks and the like. You know, Ryan. I think it was Jeremy's take was just. This isn't about COVID. This is another excuse to have an authoritarian regime and mm-hmm. tighten its grip and all that. My 17-year-old daughter, Sarah, her take is that I found kind of interesting is China knows it caused COVID and it was mm-hmm. probably an accident. I mean, out of the lab. Whether <laughs> Don't say that. Did they do it intentionally? Don't say that. Did they do it intentionally? I'm not ready to go there. Yeah. But, I mean, it's an accident out of the lab, right? And so the zero COVID policy is the way of sitting there saying, you know, we're taking this very seriously. It wasn't us, blah, blah, blah. This is kind of the cover, if you will, for them doing it. I don't think China gives a fuck. (laughs) I I agree. I don't think China cares. I think they give more of a fuck than we give give them credit for because despite being a bad authoritarian government, they've been much more responsive to people since Tiananmen Square. They, they do know there, well, let's talk about some element of, let's talk about time on it in a world where there is increased, uh, civil unrest over in China. You know, right now we see the protests on videos, but say that the white paper, just holding up white sheets, say that it does get to a point of civil war Mm -hmm. or violent, uh, conflict. What does that do for energy prices, for oil and gas prices specifically? Um, do they go up? Do they go down? I'd imagine they go down because I imagine demand for the country would go down, even though that you know there's a war. I imagine just civilians aren't going to be using as much energy as they would. What's y'all's take on what it has on a macro level? Well, we're gonna bring, you're gonna introduce the Twitter story at, at some point on the back of this, but I think a couple things. Number one is in 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 the with social media we have instant information but we are not sure if that information is that real i mean we see videos leaked out of china and now china can't suppress the news but um it could create devastating an impact if people truly rise up and i don't know if if the if the temperature there is at such a level where people are willing yeah we don't know but what but what sparked this was people that have been basically welded into their household a fire starts and they die because they can't get out. I mean, this the zero uh, the zero COVID policy is is dangerous AF. I mean, yeah. And and do we care here in the U.S.? Most people don't. I mean, most people care about inflation and you know the fact that they can't fill up their tank. 
for less than a hundred dollars. And that Ohio State lost. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. That was a great game, by the way. Go Michigan. That was a good game. But, but you know what's interesting is when if you look back and you study history of authoritarian governments and where it turns, it's actually it doesn't turn into a civil war. The turn is when the guard who has the gun facing a citizen that looks exactly like him decides not to shoot. And when that when that moment doesn't happen, that's when the authoritarian government knows it no longer has control and something mm. happens. So I would actually think if we're at that moment and it kind of like I said earlier, it feels historic. If we're at that moment, then the revolution will be, I'm going to call it bloodless and it'll be quick. I'm not saying they're going to convert mm. to full on democracy, but yeah. I mean, Gorbachev decided to go with perestroika and all this sort of stuff because his people wouldn't shoot yeah. the citizens. And so well, that's what we got. What's to interesting watch. about all of this is that we live in a new age, right? And you just talked about this. We have the internet. And you look, you know, the internet itself isn't new, but social media is Big time. still in its infancy. And you look at Twitter, you know, Elon Musk has gone on this whole rampage about, I mean, you can tell tw like Elon is super passionate about the vision of Twitter and um, protecting free speech. And he thinks that this is a critical platform for free speech. And all these videos that we're talking about in China, where do you see them at? You see them on Twitter. And now you're starting to see all these second order effects from that. And Elon actually posted a meme the other day. It's like every time I wake up, there's some psyop going on on, on Twitter. And um, let's let's do this. I want to jump into this point. But one last thing on oil prices, just real quick, and then yeah. let's let's jump into Twitter. Is it should not be underappreciated in the market. This whole cap and sanction thing on the Russia and, and what it did, because I was talking to the OPEC whisperer this morning. And what she said is nobody knew what the, the caps were going to be. Nobody knew what the sanctions were going to be as Europe debates this. And so people bought oil. They bought their oil. So the price may have been higher than it should have been oil price because people were loading up. They were pre-buying for October and November. And then who was loading up? refiners etc just mm. all inventory inventories you look this morning inventories in europe are up over it, yeah. traditional i mean people were stockpiling oil just because they didn't know whether they were going to be able to buy from russia not buy from russia so yeah there was there was pressure on the buy side and and now that we kind of know what the 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 sanction will look like there's actually been some selling pressure yeah on, on that so that's one thing that just a little nuance that played there but Let's go back to, uh, to one other thing. Dan Piet, my my good friend and great entrepreneur who runs Blueware, a great energy software company here in town. He does a game that we should do, and I'm going to steal it from him. We should pick what we think the oil price will be at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year. So January, we all put money down and say, what's the oil price going to end at? Once we know what the beginning will be. Yeah. And we all bet because it's hilarious that we Check, think we think know we, what's going to happen. I think we, we did that we last year on BDE. We, we should go back and we look did, and see what our prediction was. We did was. that on BDE. Marshall <laughs> Atkins over at Raymond James has a dinner at NAEP every year, January, where he does that. And you got to choose oil price, gas price. And then at the 
the next year's dinner, you win a turkey if you were farthest away and you, you win a really nice duck decoy if you were close. <laughs> and I have won three ducks and five turkeys through the 20 wow. years. But my, the most classic Chuck's moment the bird, of that, man. Well, the most classic, well, cause you got, you got to go outside of consensus, you know, yeah. to be able to win it. So the most classic moment of that we're invested in this company. I'm sitting right next to the CEO. We had just had a laborious board meeting determining whether to hedge or not. And the CEO is pounding the table. We shouldn't hedge. We shouldn't hedge, blah, 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 blah. So I think oil prices were like at 75. And I look at his bet for next year's oil price. And it was like 50. I'm like, dude, you freaking <laughs> said we should hedge. Well, I'm, I'm just guessing he's, now. He's, hedge, like, he's hedging through the game. Yeah. So, yeah, no, let's definitely do that. But we did that last year. Yeah. On we have to go back and look and let's see. Do it. Uh, what our predictions were. I don't I was, remember what I said. Because flat would have been the winning answer. Eh, 75. <laughs> Is it 75 today? It's we'll see. Tomorrow. We'll see on December 31st. My wife said something I was asking her. So I, I follow a few journalists that I respect. And I was asking her, because she's a big Twitter. She's on Twitter a lot. And yeah. She has a lot of fans and followers. And she interacts all the time. Her comment to me about some of these journalists was, they're, they're behind. Like, I don't read much of them because they're late to stories all the time. Yeah. And it's what, what, what I realized is Twitter has completely changed the game of news. And it is instantaneous now. I mean, so that is interesting. Twitter is a stream of consciousness. That's what it is. And you can literally get on there. This whole FTX story, which is by far the biggest fraud and scandal in the world. I mean, it makes Enron look like nothing. If we relied on mainstream media, one, they've been just lobbing up softballs at SBF and FTX and haven't actually been diving into the story. But I was literally in Twitter spaces where there's like 60,000 people in these Twitter spaces and news was breaking real time in the Twitter spaces. So it wasn't even happening through text. It's like the host. He's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm getting something. He's like, let me confirm this. And like 15, 20 minutes later, we come back and be like, hey, I just confirmed that FTX had, you know, funds over here. And that shit was breaking real wow. time on Twitter by people like us that just record podcasts and are in the mm -hmm. in the know. And so that's what I'm saying. Like we're in a new age where information has been democratized. But the problem is is it can't be democratized when big tech right. controls it. And we've seen that. And that's what Elon's going off on on Twitter right now because Apparently, Apple is so. Apple is threatening to delist Twitter from the App Store, and a lot of people don't know that Apple and Google, and Microsoft and Amazon, these four companies control the majority of the internet. And I would say I'd even narrow it down to Apple and Google because they control the app stores. And so we saw this with uh, the Parlor app, um, which you know. The parlor app was kind of labeled as this MAGA, you know, Donald Trump, yeah. alt-right app, but it wasn't when it started. It was just an alternative to Twitter. Twitter. Like they were just trying to create a social media platform for free speech. Like it wasn't some extremist place. Anyways, Apple delist it. Okay, well then your next thing is is we create a web app and you just use the desktop version. And the problem is is that you can make web apps that function just as smooth as native apps and ios but 
Apple won't let you download them on your phone. It has to be an app store approved app to right. download it on your phone. And so they completely gatekeep there. You can't have any web apps that operate like they're native. And then the parlors extend. It's like, okay, we'll just use desktop version. Well, they built that on AWS and AWS pulled their hosting. And so all of a sudden within two days, you just got rug pulled. You got your app delisted from the app store. You got your hosting pulled from AWS and how this ties all back into China and energy is that Apple is now threatening uh, to delist Twitter. And it's like, why? You know, Elon Musk posted the other day, like hate speech has gone down on the platform since they took over. Um, user engagement is up. Um, they're getting like 2 million new users a day or something. Something ridiculously crazy. But you look at it and it's like, where are we getting news from China? getting it on Twitter. That's where all the videos are leaked and posted. And so you start seeing how all this stuff is potentially, you know, China has a lot of influence on Apple because where does Apple, where do they make it? Where do they yeah. make their phones? Well, and, you know, and you know what Apple just did? Apple just released a new operating system on the iPhone in China that regulates airdrop because airdrop was the way the Chinese people were sending information around without the government. Oh, yeah. You know, because if I can airdrop you the video, you can airdrop the video to somebody yeah, else. Yeah, Apple delisted an app that was used uh, a couple of years ago and then, to Chuck's point, uh, took away airdrop function. And so, I mean, look, this this isn't news. Like, this has always been a thing. Big Tech has separate products for China. Um, but now it's really interesting to see that you have Elon who has against the odds taken over control of this <laughs> of this platform and just does not give a shit about any foreign entities or any third party entities here in the US it seems and we're starting to learn a lot and like I don't think that this can be undersold on like how big of an impact it has on the freedom of information, freedom of speech, getting accurate information um it's just a, a really i think it'll interesting be interesting time. to watch because elon musk makes a lot of money in china from tesla yeah so it'll be interesting to see if he's able to manage yeah. that 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 separately what would be interesting is we need to bring someone on the show that's an expert in antitrust because rockefeller is person on the planet because he controlled the distribution yep. of oil yeah he figured out that if I get have the distribution, everyone has to go through me. Now the government created these this whole antitrust laws because to specifically break up Rockefeller and his businesses. Yeah, it would be interesting to see because that's what we're seeing today. But what we're not seeing is, and I'm not pro government by any means because what give them something to they'll just screw it up. But it's interesting that our government is actually supporting big tech. Yeah. And they're not saying, wait well, a minute, you have too much power. They're saying, use that power and for us. We want. For us. Yes. No, that's, so, exact, that's exactly the thing is like, I'm very libertarian, but I've also understood like, you know, you look at Apple and Google. I mean, it is the, it's a duopoly and it's, it is. it's massively more powerful than what Rockefeller had a hundred 120 years ago, however long that was. Like, I think that this is way more powerful than what he had because look, look at our table right here. 
one, we all have Apple products. <laughs> Is that an well, iPad? Yeah, two, yeah. iPad, iPhone, yeah. damn We've got it. like fucking 10 Apple computers and products in here. And it is literally the gateway to the internet now. And that's not how the internet was designed. And so you look at, you know, when Jack left, left Twitter, you know, Jack always said, he says this now in hindsight, but he's like, you know, Twitter shouldn't have been a company. It should have been a protocol. And mm. I always think, you know, he says that now, but I'm also like, you made billions of dollars off of it. So you're in a place where you can say that. But as we look at the future of the internet, and don't get me started on my whole Bitcoin uh, spiel, but this is the thing is that the internet has to run off of protocols and decentralized bodies because once you have central entities, you run into this issue. But, you know, the, I think that there is something serious there where the government gets so much data and information to control from tech companies that they turn a blind eye to this stuff. And now you have Elon and Mark Andreessen and David Sachs and all of these like well-known, like I'm looking at this tweet right now from David Sachs. He just posted this, 20 minutes ago, he says, as long as tech, uh, MAGA, Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon have unlimited power to engage in bundling and to act as gatekeepers of competitive products, there cannot be a healthy startup ecosystem. And Elon replied and said, it's a real problem. Apple and Google effectively control access to most of the internet via their app stores. Well, and let's, let's take this down into energy because we've kind of been watching Elon do all this and Twitter and He's going to release the Twitter files, right? And and everybody's watching that because they want to see suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story because that arguably impacted the election. What I want to see comes out of that is climate change in terms of what has the government been asking Twitter to censor? What have they been asking the other tech companies to censor and why? Because there have been a lot of people kicked off that have just said, hey, you know, over the last 10,000 years, the temperature has been war warmer 91% of the time. You right. can't even ask that question and kind of pre-align. No, you can't Twitter. have scientific so, conversations. Like we made a yeah. YouTube video back in uh, 2021. And the name of the video was, is oil, and, is oil and gas industry fighting climate change? And it was just talking about methane reduction, mm -hmm. monitoring, mitigation, and all of it was factual. There was no spin or opinion on it. And most of the facts came from the Environmental Defense Fund. Like we pulled <laughs> stuff from them and we got flagged for and fact checked by YouTube uh, for false information about climate change. And that was like, that hit me. I was like, oh shit, like there's actually a chance of being deplatformed as individuals or as a company as digital wildcatters for having um, scientific conversations around energy production and how it relates to climate. And so, yeah, you know, the, I know that, did y'all listen to that podcast episode of Mark Zuckerberg on yeah. Joe Rogan? Yeah. Fucking amazing podcast. Um, you know, I'm a, Zuckerberg gets a ton of hate, but I'm actually a big Zuck fan. And you listen to like, the things that he has to think through. Like Zuckerberg's like your startup builder. Like he just wants to build shit and you listen to him. He's like, dude, I, I have to make decisions that impact well, countries, this... countries, elections. And you hear about that and you think about Twitter. Twitter, I think has that their problems even worse because it is the stream of consciousness for real time right. news and ideas and reports. And then you look at who is at Twitter. I mean, you know, Elon just posted a video the other day. He's like looking through some merch closet and it's full of t-shirts that say stay woke. And I mean, very heavy liberal bias in that company right. and who is doing the content moderation. And um, yeah, you know, he, 
Elon says he's going to release the Twitter files that show all this stuff. So I was talking to Oilfield Rando after I listened to the Zuckerberg podcast with, on Rogan. And I was going, you know, Oilfield, you're wrong about Zuckerberg. He's just a dude that wants to make software that allows people to connect. He's got 3 billion people on the platform. If he makes a mistake, 0.001% of the time, that's literally millions of mistakes. It's just tough. And Oilfield Rando said, Chuck, as soon as he sends the murder bots after <laughs> you, you'll be back on my side about that Zuckerberg guy. So... Uh, where Zuckerberg lost me was that he owns this giant palace in Hawaii. Nothing wrong with that. But if you read about, there was a lot of the local community had, they owned different pieces of land and he forced them out of their land so he could have a continuous piece of property. Mm. And the way he did, I read a few articles on this. The way he did it was kind of like being a bully. And that's where I just lost respect for, like if you're an entrepreneur and you're about, you know, you're, you're believe in, in sort of libertarian. Everyone should, you know, yeah. everyone should be able to compete fairly. He was unfair. And the yeah. way he kicked people out of their own homes that have been living there for generations to me, just kind of was like, he's just a douchebag like everyone else. Yeah. He was successful. Great. Yeah. There's a lot of one hit wonders. He's a one hit wonder. He yeah. did one thing well and good for him. It doesn't mean he knows anything about anything else. And that's the problem that I have with a lot of people that say, well, I did one thing, so I'm a billionaire, so now I'm an expert on everything. It's like, yeah. no, you did one thing well. What I like about Zuck, though, is, one, he's curious. So, you know, Zuck's the only tech executive I know. I mean, there could be more that I know that was public that went out and visited a deepwater drill ship out in the mm. Gulf of Mexico to see how complex <clears throat> the operations were for oil and gas and get an appreciation for that. Um you know, I think that he's done a pretty good job. You know, I think that, like, I don't use Facebook anymore. Um, but I do think that. Uh, Why not? Uh, it's just a platform for old people. Yeah. <laughs> don't look at me, you fuckers. <laughs> We're all looking at, I'm not on it. No. no, you look at the evolution of what happened to Facebook. I mean, Facebook, when it started, I mean, you had to, like, I couldn't get on Facebook when I first heard about it because you had to have a college ID and I was only in high school, right? And so it was like this really curated community mm -hmm. platform for uh, college students and very centered around community. You go look at old videos of Mark Zuckerberg when they were launching Facebook and he's at, they're having, you know, college campus parties and he's got a red cup in his hand doing a interview and like, that's how they got distribution. What it became today was like, there's no value. Like Facebook doesn't add any value to my life. Twitter does. I get so much. Like I've learned mm -hmm. so much about energy and finance and other just world events right. from Twitter. There's tangible value there. Instagram, uh, there's tangible value there, um, which is obviously a, a made a product. But Facebook itself is just um, like it's where you go and you're, you know, old, old uncles talking, you know, some racist shit or, you know, just like it's like the it's just not a valuable platform for for most people. Um, well, it's sugar pop, right? I mean, maybe uh, Twitter's hardcore rock and roll, but, you know, Facebook's yeah. sugary pop boy band stuff. And yeah. that's how he describes it. I want you to go there, have a pleasant experience, see your see your friends and family and yeah. the birthday cake they had. Speaking, so, of, speaking of sugar pop, I was on Twitter during college football extravaganza and someone posted that they had a Jack and Coke in their hand. And I, I was like, you know what? I haven't had a Jack and I haven't had a Coke in 
probably 15, 20 years. Yeah. And I poured those two combinations together and man, sent me back. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. Have you had a, have you had a you bourbon and coke a, in a while? You probably got a dopamine rush. I was like totally nostalgia. jacked. I was like, man, I'm drinking. <laughs> it's probably been 20 years and it was diet coke. <laughs> <laughs> no, Andrew just uh, came in with, and he's right about this, Facebook's data collection and ad targeting are so accurate. It's really creepy. But Okay, so let's talk about, because everyone has a problem with how accurate their data collection is, mm -hmm. but I'm actually on the opposite side of that. I think Instagram ads is one of the most valuable ad platforms to me as an individual because I discover so many products that oh, yeah. I love. That I hate collection. it. I wouldn't have found regardless. And so that's like actually true value add, one from a consumer and from a advertising standpoint. Um, and they've absolutely crushed it there. But yeah, it is scary, especially like, I've ran a lot of Facebook ads and what you, the data that you could get just <laughs> as an advertiser five, six years ago was kind of crazy. Like, you know, like Facebook knows when you're pregnant, if you're a female, they know when you're pregnant before you do. Like, that's how fucking yeah. wild it is. <laughs> well, my, so. We're uh, kind of getting deep in the, yeah. in the wormhole here of yes. social media <laughs> and, and but it is interesting how all, and, you know, just to add on to that note, a lot of people may not be aware of this, but social media and tech companies are a big driver of energy makeup in the United States. Uh, Google, Microsoft, they have these huge uh, power purchase agreements with yep. renewable power companies and these mandates where they're saying, hey, we're going to 100% of our servers are going to be powered by renewable energy. And so they actually have a huge um, impact on what the energy infrastructure makeup. is yeah, going to look like. Yeah, absolutely. So. And 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 it comes down to something we've said a million times on here: when you buy energy from authoritarian dictators, bad shit just happens. People yeah. die, people freeze, whatever the case may be. And it really deserves a very thoughtful. I hate, dare I say, adult conversation about what we should be doing transition-wise. And if we're not even going to allow scientific discussion yeah. about the basic facts, we're really going to be in trouble because this isn't like a product or something. This is energy, yeah. which is life. I mean, speaking what, of what buying, about What about Germany making a 15-year commitment to Qatar? That's what I was just about to For to LNG. Say. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Um, they have kind of, to. I mean, they don't have. They don't have an option. Um, I'd love to have Toby Rice call in for this one because I bet Toby's. I mean, Toby's of, like, going. Let me build an export yeah, terminal. Yeah, what let us. Hell, guys? Yeah, let us export. It. Um, <laughs> I'd be pissed. I mean, that was opportunity wasted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're sure. Germany, why wouldn't you go with a regime that's you know more democratic, if you will, yeah. than a regime that is a dictatorship? Yeah. I mean, because Joe Biden could not walk into those negotiations and say, we will be able to do this because we don't have where's any the export yeah, where's the capacity supply, right Where's the now. supply come from? Where is the export yeah. capacity? We don't have the terminals. Like we don't build in this country anymore. So yeah. we don't have the ability to serve and deliver. Um, it's just really interesting when you look at history and world dynamics, you know, you look at the Middle East and just the power density <laughs> that sits there the energy density and Amazing. um just how much control they have um for countries that you know are dictatorships and seen by the rest of the world as like not um quote unquote good places but 
yeah, Germany's relying on him. He went from being relying on Russia to relying on the Middle East. I mean, at least if you're imp- if you're if if you're Germany and you build the the infrastructure to be able to accept the LNG, well, at least you have other supply of that. It's not like the Nord Stream pipeline that's coming straight from Russia. And no, 100%. You have host. you have so optionality, that, right? That's where you can better, Yeah, for but, sure. But still, there's yeah. nothing you can do uh, if you're Germany, you need to get the lowest cost of energy that's reliable. Yeah. And it's going to be there. So, I mean, I think they were, they put themselves in the situation because of them yeah. you know, killing Max, all their coal plants and decommissioning their nukes. Max Gagli already posted this chart yesterday. It was an interactive a, chart and it showed a great chart. It showed, I wish we could pull it up, um, but it's an interactive chart. Um, but it shows energy inflation over mm. the last, I think, 15 years or so. And so this is pre, pre Ukraine, Russia, pre any of this. And I mean, energy prices just skyrocketing in Europe over the last decade or so. And you know, it's easy to blame Russia and Ukraine for this, but this was already happening <laughs> well before. And you know, I, I remember I posted this tweet uh, as soon as Russia invaded Ukraine, and I said, "This is what happens when you have bad energy policy." And you know, I had people on there like, "Are you insinuating that this war is fought over energy and not decades of Russian?" Or it's always Russia about. It. I was like, "I'm not saying that Russia doesn't want to unite the so you know bring back the Soviet Union." It's like what I'm saying is that why right now? Like there's a reason right. right now and it's because everyone's weak and they can attack and they know that they have leverage when it comes to energy supply. And so, um, you know, you look at it, these are things that are built on the events of one to two decades and Russia's just striking now because they had the opportunity to. I posted this great article from Milton Friedman from 1970 when he writes about economics 101 and that when companies take on sort of woke woke projects that the shareholders will remove those management teams because they're spending money that could be going to 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 uh, dividends or back to to constructive profits somehow and it's true and he, he names all these examples back in 1970 the big issue in 1970 was pollution by the way and so but what, what I find different today than back then is that um, when you think, and I'm thinking about ESG and I'm thinking about climate tech and clean tech, is that companies are not being penalized. And if we think about Europe and their bad energy policy, there's almost this fact that the markets almost move. There's a few controlling the whole in some ways. And I'm not trying to be conspiracy, but I'm like, it's interesting because a lot of companies and governments are spending really poorly on energy policy well, and they're not being held accountable. Well, you know what it is? It's the it's the thing I've always said about Ronald Reagan. I mean, Ronald Reagan rose to power saying government is not the solution. Government is the problem. Right. Yet by being such a great president, he installed so much more confidence in In the government government that we wind up, you know, borderline socialists like we are today. The energy business kind of did it to ourselves by creating all this really cheap, abundant energy for so long, you know, 
over the shale revolution in particular in the United States, that it allowed all this bad energy policy, right? You could go spend billions on renewables, et cetera, because oil and gas was so cheap. Now that it's going to be expensive, I think that's where accountability comes in because people are going to go, whoa, hold on. Speaking of shareholders driving returns and uh, management teams being removed, I saw this on Twitter yesterday that BlackRock was closing their ESG fund, but it looked like I don't, I couldn't find it from a legit link, so I'm not sure if it was true or not. But Bloomberg did post an article that BlackRock and UBS asked to be removed from Texas Energy boycott list. So <laughs> state of Texas had made this uh, list of companies that they were blackballing um, that were uh, boycotting the fossil fuel industry. And now you have BlackRock and UBS asking to be removed <laughs> from the list. We're really sorry. <laughs> yeah. and, Interesting. You know, BlackRock... And Larry Fink and all of these private equity bros up in New York City are a primary driver for divestment out of oil and Absolutely. gas. And That's who I was thinking of. I didn't want to mention them by name, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, fuck them. Whatever. Digital Wildcatters doesn't Let's get Fink on the line. At all. Yeah. Hey. Someone, Chuck, pull up Larry Fink. Producer, get yeah. Fink on the line. <laughs> <laughs> but primary driver in the narrative that fossil fuels are bad renewables are the future it's green energy it's uh it's esg extremely toxic narrative over the last two to three years and there's almost no repercussions for them in that and now you see it's so funny man this was just the writing was on the wall all these endowment funds divesting and it's easy to divest when it's 2020 and oil and gas profits are you know in the shitter like it's easy to divest then but now that the entire market is cycling and the returns are in energy now everyone's like oh well maybe oil and gas isn't that bad it's like fuck you well you know you know what was really interesting i did some research on this and i'm gonna be dated on this so i'll probably get it wrong but the early days of uh actually activist investing were unions that built cheap housing for people and then you got into apartheid, et cetera. So there were, there were actually some really good wins for quote unquote ESG investing that I think we'd all agree with that, that happened because of that. It's just like anything else. It's gone to the extreme. Well, I mean, I, I'm just thinking about my little island of Nantucket. The business owners used to build housing for their employees because that was the best way to get employees to work and stay on the island and for the workers to be able to afford to stay on the yeah, island. Yeah, it was the, the cost was borne by the entrepreneur. Today, like the and this is Nantucket and probably unlike many resort towns, is is the entrepreneurs are no longer bearing the cost. They're pushing it on the government to provide housing and they're mm. pushing those costs onto others. So I think that's, you know, sort of my issue about a lot of these things, when we think about like GE Superfund, when they're pouring PCBs into the Hudson River and the government came and bailed them out, I think when when costs are not completely baked into a product, sometimes entrepreneurs and companies abuse and don't take advantage or they don't acknowledge the cost. So yeah. in oil and well, gas's oil and gas case, P&As. that's yeah. right. Yeah. And everyone knows that P&As get kicked down the road. That cost gets kicked down the road by CFOs. And 
This is my. But that's a real cost. Yeah, it's a real cost. And they're not, they're ignoring it. Yeah, and that it's a real cost. Is, and then when the wells get abandoned or they're not plugged properly, that comes back on taxpayers. And I don't right. want to, like, I didn't profit from those wells. And so, yeah, that also, if you take it over to renewable energy, this is something I've had a hard time, like, getting through some of my friends' heads on renewables is that everyone talks about renewables being the cheapest uh, cost of electricity. And all they look at is at the asset level, hey, you can build a wind turbine farm or solar array for this amount, and you can sell electrons into the market for this amount. Cool. But in reality, the way that the market is structured right now, the way that the grid is structured is that you need backup generation or battery capacity. That's right. And those things don't get wrapped up into the cost of renewables and so same with know, transmission yeah it's part know, of that you, yeah you, i've you, talked like I talked, right. you can't build a solar farm in the i brought this up with a friend in renewables yeah. and their response is like oh well those are two separate things like the person that builds the asset doesn't care about battery storage and i was like but that's the problem i said me as a citizen of texas i care about having reliable and affordable electricity so when you look at renewables when we talk about costs it needs to be from end to end from building the asset to backup generation or battery storage, transmission. When you look at the cost of oil and gas, it needs to be from the moment you spud or you buy that acreage to the moment that you P&A. P&A. Yeah. yeah. Totally and agree. And that, I mean, you have to do things by the book and then, hey, like. I hate to even open this can of worms and we won't do it because we need to wrap up anyway, but. There is a way to get there. You basically on you you go free market. You get rid of all the subsidies. You do put reliability constraints on sources. So you got to be able to produce for let's yeah, say forty eight hours, forty eight hours, seventy two hours, something like that. But you do have to acknowledge that uh, pollution, even if you only think pollution is slightly annoying. There is a cost. To but that. that's a cost to the environment be, that needs to be baked in. That, that's yes. got to that's got to be baked in. It just needs to be baked exactly. in. Yeah. And somehow and we're early not 1900s, you know, when GE was is, pouring PCBs in the River. Do you think those scientists would feed that that those chemicals to their children? No, no. Right. Yeah, no. So. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I actually sat down with uh, Tony Sanchez from Sanchez Oil and Gas and he has this new company. I can't remember what it's called, but they actually have a good idea around PNA and fixing this from a capitalistic uh, perspective. And they treat it like an insurance company where. They go to an EMP and say, hey, you're going to pay us a, uh, you know, I think it's a one-time premium. And when a well or an asset gets to the end of its life cycle, you're going to uh, sign it over to us. And essentially what they're doing is they're taking those premiums just like an insurance company does. That's awesome. And then they're going and getting a return in the market. Yeah. And then they take on the liability. Yeah. They take on the liability of doing that. And so, um that's an interesting model, but yeah, this whole, um, yeah, the costs have to be end to end because if not, it comes back on us. And what's the, uh, what's the saying? Or it distorts. Uh, if the uh, privatize, privatize the gains, socialize the losses. Like yeah. that's right. the system that America runs on right now. And it just Good. irritates the shit out of me. All but, right. We had multiple contestants this week for finger <laughs> of the week. We have Joe Biden agreeing to allow Venezuela to produce oil. At the same time, not helping Ghana out in terms of increasing their oil production. We had the New York Times is, I think tomorrow, is Sam Bankman-Fried still speaking at their forum? 
That's a cluster. We need to record. Didn't we have him uh, to call in one of these shows? <laughs> <laughs> we need to We're record him and Kanye. We're him and we Kanye. should record an entire podcast so I can break down what has happened in the FTX. We, we, ought, we ought to do that. Scandal. We maybe even need to deep dive on BDE like we did the election. Yeah. We, we special we'll special BDE episode, crypto. crypto I love edition. it. <laughs> we had it. Alyssa Milano who tweeted out that she, because of all the right wing hate and everything on Twitter, she was going to sell her Tesla. No, can I read this tweet verbatim? Please read okay, it Okay, because I got to pull it. This is a great, yeah. great shit. So I don't know who Alyssa is. Chuck had to school me up, but I did see it. She's tweet. on Facebook. I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Big over on Facebook. So she sends this tweet. I gave back my Tesla. I bought the Volkswagen electric vehicle. I love it. I'm not sure how advertisers can buy space on Twitter. Publicly traded companies, products being pushed in alignment with hate and white supremacy doesn't seem to be a winning business model. Then this guy replies, Hodge Twins, and says Volkswagen was literally founded by the Nazis and Hitler. <laughs> Hitler designed this, the VW Bug. This I mean, comment got 200,000 likes, like probably one of the most vicious ratios I've ever seen on Those Twitter. guys are funny, by the way. <laughs> so we had, and we normally give away the finger of the week, right? We are delegating our authority to give the finger of the week to somebody this week. So we're going to allow somebody to step in our shoes and give the finger of the week. So this is this week's finger of the week. Harold Ham gave the finger of the week to the investing public by exiting the New York Stock Exchange on November 23rd. Continental is now a wholly owned company of the Ham family. Therefore, <laughs> congratulations, Harold, giving everybody the finger of the week. Harold Ham is uh, in Oklahoma smiling right now. Congrats, Harold. <laughs> well done. Hopefully this makes up for the joke I told about you last summer. <laughs> All right, that wraps up today's show. Uh, hope you all appreciated the deep dive on uh, social media founders and uh, conspiracies with energy and foreign entities. I'm sure we'll be talking about that more to come in the future. If you like this show, make sure, make sure to share it with a friend and catch us next week, 10.30 a.m. Central Time on Tuesday.